Welcome to the B-Sides and Beers podcast. Welcome to B-Sides and Beers episode 51. Tonight we're hanging with Darren Adam co-founder of Cumberland Brewing Co. out of Cumberland, BC. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Darren was actually one of the first guys to answer back to us. Nice. Yeah, which was cool. When you're in Aries and... You know, you need attention. So when people put out there that they'll actually listen to you and talk for a period of time, it's a pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah. It's win-win. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, now, Dane had a chance to grab some Cumberland Brewing product. And I sure did. Yeah, maybe uh, you can tell us about what you drank there, Dane, to start. Yeah, it sure didn't last long. Um, <laughs> so I grabbed uh, the porter. Um, sorry, Darren, what's the name of the porter again? We actually, um, I think that one's called the CBC Porter, and it's um, okay. It's uh, Caitlin's best concoction. Caitlin is our second brewer, and it was one of the very early recipes she wrote, and she just absolutely nailed for me, what a porter is meant to be, but I agree. I, I leave it for you to tell me how it was. <laughs> well, like I said, it didn't last very long. I literally like drove back to Courtney and I think I just popped it right there and sipped it. I think you even told me like, you may want to share this with a friend. <laughs> no, I deal. just casually sipped on it for the rest of the night and it was fantastic. So um, <clears throat> I think like you, you told me that it wasn't, as bitter as most porters tend to be, if I recall. And um, I just found it to be like extremely easy to drink. Like it was, it almost kind of tasted like dark chocolate. It was really yummy. Yeah. It's um, sometimes they can get a little, a little heavy, a little um, edgy, bitter. Um, I, I like a, a, a quaffable version and just having it, Almost, almost like a, like I'm a huge fan of dark lagers. And yeah. so having something in the ale variety that still can scratch that dark lager itch is, it's, <laughs> it's a two for one. No doubt. Yeah. No, it was, it was delicious. So um, thank you for that. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And what's yeah. the percentage on yeah. that? I think it's around five. Yeah, it's just right in that middle bracket. We we tend to be in the uh, not lighter but lesser uh, in that ABV zone. Like even our uh, our IPA, I think is is just six point three. So we tend to have more crushable versions. We don't go overboard on the booze, except for the yeah. Imperial. Boo! Yeah, you know, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have to try that, but. Um, when I go, like we will usually head over sometime in the afternoon and, and enjoy a bite to eat, but I like the Vienna, um, because it's only like a, I think it's like a four point something. It's not like a huge alcohol content. And then I'm not needing a nap like an hour after leaving. So it's great. Yeah. And from a business standpoint, 
um, it's always curious to me when we show up and every beer on a list at another brewery is seven or higher. Uh, I can't, uh, in my decrepit old age, I can't, uh, uh, have a second. So I'm either having a, a, a flight or I'm, you know, one beer and done. And literally from a business point of view, you gotta, you gotta sell that second pint. We don't have any different problems <laughs> than, uh, every bad roadside Kino pulling, uh, weirdo pub that uh, Canada has been growing for the last hundred years. We don't have any different issues. We need to get that seat revenue. And so having a ability to, when the, when the server says, would you like another to be able to go? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I would <laughs> like another. That would be nice. You know what? I'll have a Samuel Adams too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that, Darren, because we have noticed that over two years of doing this, that you know we we usually note the the alcohol content in these beers that we've been drinking, and the majority of them have been off the charts, like compared to what we were used to even growing up, right? Like it felt like if you had something that was over five point five or six, like whoa, you were like drinking wildcat strong. Like there must've been something, right? Like, <laughs> what a reference. you know, like that or like a big bear or something, just, you know, nothing good, you know? And then, yeah. but all these breweries, it just feels like they're, it's just so high. Like it's just, yeah, seven and above. And, and the thing is, is not to take away from them. They can be really well-rounded, excellently executed beers. And if you are cognizant of the fact you can sip it, and instead of a 25-minute beer, it's a 45, 50-minute beer, and you can still walk away without needing assistance. <laughs> yeah. But then but it's warm power. by, like, 45 minutes, right? Like it's yeah. <laughs> Well, it depends on uh, where you're situated. You know, if it's cold yeah. enough to start, it's still cold enough to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Good point. Good point. So, okay, you're, can you tell us your, your kind of business motto? Because you mentioned it to us in uh, your email and I, I liked it and I don't want to, um, you know, misquote it or anything. So if you could just speak to that, like, um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of let you take it from there. Okay. Uh, beer is cool. No, sorry. Uh, the actual, <laughs> yeah, man. the actual, uh, our, our business model is, uh, we call it a community brewery. So we think every community deserves a good butcher brewery and bakery. And, uh, if your community needs one, then maybe you should think about doing it, but probably not. Cause it's actually not that easy. It's, um, it's about enhancing the community. And, and honestly, when I got into this, I wasn't sure what was going to be the, the sustaining thing that would keep me engaged. I love having a great room with good servers, value added jobs, good food, good beer. But the thing that really has been sustaining has been the notion of being a part of building a community and being a part of supporting a community and being a part of the discussion of what concerns the community. And that's been awesome and super fun. So we have um, actually helped um, my partner's husband, uh, Michael Timchuk and I 
we consult for other breweries that want to copy our model. So we've helped out um, Twin City Brewing in Port Alberni. We helped out Land and Sea Brewing in Comox. We also just helped um, and are continuing to help uh, Devil's Bath Brewing in Port McNeil. And we think that every community deserves one. So we are happy to, as long as they share the intention of our model, most of those folks have actually started to do some distribution, which is bottling and canning. We refuse um, just out of the basis of the cumbersome aspects of it and the empire building and the competition. And I can go into it if you want, but it just doesn't bring me the same pleasure as you either taking a growler home and enjoying it in your own house or even better enjoying the freshest beer in the right glass at the right temperature in my brewery. It's the best place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, you going back to that sense of community or the building of community, would, would you say that that was unexpected for you before you got into this? Were you? Were, yeah, I, I, um, I'll give you the quick background. The short story is I used to work backstage to pay for my acting habit. And then I fixed small airplanes to pay for my flying habit. And now I have a brewery to pay for my drinking habit. So Perfect. in the middle there, when I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. We've got a podcast middle. to do that. That's what yeah. we're doing right now. But there yeah. You go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. In, the, um, in the acting phase of things, there was just no connection to any community. I was moving around. I was touring. I was, I, I was all over the place. In the uh, flying around with a small airplane, I only got home for the weekends and uh, I spent every moment I could with my my sweetheart and uh, didn't really have a sense of, of community. I, I have had windows of it in my 53 years, but never to the extent that I've been able to enjoy the discussion of community with the inhabitants and visitors within Cumberland. And it's a obviously a bit of a magical place if anybody listening hasn't heard of Cumberland I don't know what your problem is but it's kind of on the it's on the the charts right now if you will there's a lot going on yeah. there it's trending yeah right? absolutely yeah and I have to say um like Darren your your spot is such a nice chilled it has sometimes you'll you'll go into a brewery and the vibe just isn't there. Beer might be fantastic, but it's missing something or, or it's just maybe something's a little overlooked. Um, but um, CBC is such a dope place and you have, it feels like a community, like, like you, you say, and there's people who park their bikes and um, you know, there's dogs kind of sitting um, where the dogs sit and everyone, there's kids running around and uh, it's just like a really nice place to go and chill and you you don't find a lot of those i find i'm i i very much appreciate your comments and that was our intention and the biggest thing i would say if anybody is listening and thinking about opening a brewery is the minutiae the 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 tiny things the decisions you make that you think are no big deal are the ones that actually end up affecting your day-to-day -day and your customer's experience way more than anything else. So it is rife with those little decisions. And, and I appreciate in your point of view, we've hit the mark, not for everybody, but we, uh, we, we try our best to create exactly that, a great experience for everybody who comes there. And in the true essence of British pubs, 
Canadian pubs are not that. And British pubs are an extension of your own living room. When British couples get together, they don't have you over at their place. They meet at a pub. So it is an extension of your living room, your backyard, your patio, what have you. And we wanted to create that. And the biggest thing I wanted to create was a sense of, of inclusiveness. I didn't want anyone feeling uh, intimidated or unwelcomed or, you know, any of those negative things. We wanted everyone to just go, yeah, yeah, I like this. This works. I can sit here. And it's been awesome to see uh, people who might not go to the standard arms pub, wherever, uh, sit at our bar and be relaxed and not tense and nervous and not with earphones in and a book in front of their face, trying to hide. Um, they're open and relaxed because they feel safe. And that that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I, sorry. I got to ask, I got to go back to where, who were you with backstage? Who are you, uh, touring with well the touring that i was doing was uh, uh for children's theater so that was a, a little bit of a departure you weren't expecting that one. <laughs> no um, that's rock so, and roll <laughs> so we were uh there was four four of us three actors and a stage manager in a, um, a ford f-350 van and we would drive from school to school in the gymnasiums you might remember this as a child these strange obviously weird actors would show up in your gymnasium and do a show for you. So that was one of the touring jobs I have. Another one, I was very blessed to be a part of uh, out of Vancouver called the number 14. And it was all the characters on the bus. I was mostly backstage for that. I was the stage manager and a technician on it, but we were all over um, the Northern uh, Northeastern States, New York. I spent almost six months in New York over a two year period. And it was, uh, it was just, awesome it was so much fun but as far as the um as far as backstage in the rock and roll thing uh goes it was mostly vancouver and victoria as local crew and it's uh it's a very cool and yet uh wacky world the t-shirts um we used to have was uh backstage where high tech and low life collide <laughs> and yeah. the other one was uh stagehand mercenary when the money's gone so are we and <laughs> you know um so i i i was really blessed to uh do that through the very late 80s and right up until about seven years ago i still pay dues in both locals and I still could pick up calls, but um, I find my wife, my life is overwhelmed with uh, what's going on in Cumberland now. So I don't have enough time to go down to Victoria and work a show at the, uh, at the arena there. But I, it was, uh, right. I've got my pin on the wall. I got 30 years as a member, 30 years as a card wow. team member. So yeah, I did, I did have a lot of uh, exposure to a lot of acts that I never would have seen. And it all happened innocently. Um, we were in, I was in theater school in Uvic at, um, uh, the Phoenix theater and my TD Steve Ruman said, Hey, if you want work this weekend, the, uh, union in Vancouver, uh, needs extra bodies, uh, for this rock and roll show. But if you go down and join the Vancouver Island version of the local, 
you're 90% guaranteed you're going to get a call and you'll get three days work. Well, it was 150 bucks to join the union. And if we didn't get a call, that was pretty much going to be my ramen and KD for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, the next day I got a call and I was on the ferry to Vancouver and I worked, I think, four days setting up Steel Wheels Tour for the Rolling oh, Stones yeah. nice. in wow. 1989. Nice. That's awesome. just how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Best best time to be doing it though. Oh, it was uh it was, you know, it was awesome. It was I was yep. literally being paid, I don't know, 20 something an hour to push boxes around and possibly catch a glimpse of uh one of the stones and uh it was it was very very cool. Yeah. And then it just kind of went from there and I was really blessed to work in all of the venues in Vancouver, the Queen Elizabeth Theater, the the Orpheum Theater and uh, BC Place a couple of times, um, and as well the Coliseum, the PNE, and then later on uh, back in Victoria. But started in Victoria at the McPherson and, and uh, Royal Playhouse, so Royal Theater, McPherson Playhouse. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's done that. It's pretty, uh, uh, pretty amazing. Well, most, most of us haven't survived. So (laughs) that's why. Yeah, no, Uh, there's actually, um, (laughs) it's, it's a really, it's a very bizarre industry because, you know, you, you start sometimes at 8am and you're still there till two or three in the morning. And there wasn't a show I did from you name it, country star right through to Billy Joel, who knows where there wasn't a moment at about one o'clock in the morning where I would have given all the money back. If I could just lie down, (laughs) just go to sleep. So yeah, it's, it was a a weird world, but yeah, from literally Marilyn Manson to Joe Jackson to you too. I really, really enjoyed checking out some of these different acts as they came through. Bjork, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Marilyn Manson. That, that was not fun. That was not fun. Not <laughs> how come that wasn't fun? Well, I can imagine. Yeah, you, 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 let your imagination just take it. That's enough. You don't need to worry about it. Um, yeah, no, it was a it was a different world. But you know, like uh, I got to be uh, when you, at the beginning of the day, you're out in a big circle, and there's forty or fifty of you. And they say, who wants to do backline? Who wants to do PA? Who wants to do rigging? Who wants to do this, that, and the other thing? And I played in all departments, but one of my favorites was um, uh, for Elton John, I chose backline and I ended up getting to work with uh, his percussionist. He's a very well-known guy. I apologize. I don't know his name, but um, I went there to meet the roadie who I would help on creating things. Well, no, it wasn't a roadie. It was, it was the guy. He, yep. he did his own setup and his own tear down and he was just such a lovely human being. And I got to spend six hours a day, one day with him and, and learn more about him. And then I look back at the videos and yeah, that was the guy I sat there with. And he was just, he, he just had so much knowledge and, you know, clearly good at his job. 
Yeah, that's why he's rolling with Elton John. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see Elton at all, and that was that was fine. But I got to uh, meet the uh, meet the percussionist, who was amazing. Nice. Were you able to watch many of the shows, or you just kind of did the in behind while the show was going on? Or? A little bit of both. Um, yeah. Often you get a follow spot call. Um, yeah. And you'd be in front of house at the Orpheum. Pretty sure it was the Orpheum. Or it might have been BC Place. Um, U2, one of the early, early shows. And uh, my buddy Craig got a follow spot position. And this is, this is like 91, 90. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you see they put the harnesses on and they have the fall arrest system. And they're still going up the wire rope ladders, but there's a lot of protection for them. Back then, it was just hold on. You know, no harness, <laughs> no nothing. And it was about... I'm going to say 70 feet up to his follow spot perch. And I was at back of the house and we got flown up. The motors like raised us up for the main act and he's climbing this ladder. And some of the folks in the crowd is they're kind of bored hanging around, you know, spliffs gone out and they're feeling yeah. pretty happy. And they start chanting fall, fall, <laughs> fall. <laughs> And nice. I just remember when he got on the headset, <laughs> he was like, yeah, thanks, everybody. <laughs> really appreciate that. That was awesome. But, and that same uh, night, he was, um, I'm sure that was the U2 show because Bjork opened for him. And he was standing backstage, or it might have been Steve. Anyway, one of those guys was standing there just watching Bjork in the opening scene and became aware of the fact that there was somebody standing next to them on the side stage watching. And then when he looked around to see who it was, um, the guy went, wow, she's pretty good. eh?" in a very thick Irish accent. Well, yeah, it was Bono and just hanging with Bono backstage. I, that wasn't me. Wasn't me. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Just these little glimpses of normality in a very abnormal world. And it was, right. it was pretty fun. Interesting. That must have been Octune Baby. I'm wondering. You know, it it could have been. I yeah. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't put it past me to forget, but uh, <laughs> it could have been right about that time. Wow. Yeah, that's a sweet gig. <laughs> I I do that. Yeah. Even and actually, that. always pick backline. Yeah, backline is fun. Um, it, you can get cut early though. So there's always a, there's always a trade-off. Um, yeah. But then, but you're saying you wanted to shut it down by two o'clock and go lay down anyway. So if you get cut early, why not? Oh man, I tell you when you're and in Victoria, especially Vancouver quite a bit, but in Victoria, especially we would be tips and tails as they called it on a tour. So we'd be the beginning of the tour or we'd be the end. And there was always a repack. So if we were the, the beginning, there'd be, 12 semi-trailers would arrive, drop everything off, and there would be six for the tour or four for the tour or three for the tour. And they had a plan. And, of course, CAD and all this stuff. So it was a kind of a, a constant game of, of um, Tetris going on, filling up these yep. trucks. And they had a theory for, you know, backline would take the first 10 feet. Then there'd be 20 feet of this and 20 feet of that. <laughs> and the amount of times between... 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., you'd be standing there as they unloaded the back 20 feet, 
just to try and create four more inches of space oh, for that last truck oh, it was absolute yeah. torture. And then on the tails, when they were repacking to go back, they'd always just send a five ton or a smaller truck and there was never enough room and there was always a box left over. And sometimes they get FedEx. Sometimes I think they just got sold on the corner. I don't know, but yeah. it was uh, another, another well, edge guitar rack. We got to get yeah, this yeah, in yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Just another, just another, another delay day. pedal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's wild. And do you remember Darren, like who had the most, do you remember whoever the, had the most semi trucks? Oh, it was a contest for a while there, for sure. But yeah. I, I think that the, I think that actually it might have been Peter Gabriel. Oh, huh. yeah. He had that show that um, uh, was produced by. Oh, I can't remember that. My my theater friends are going to be laughing at me now. He was a huge theater producer in the '90s and did really avant-garde and wacky perspectives, shifting stuff. And he produced one for Gabriel that had this huge uh, runway thrust that went out into the crowd. And uh, it it had a lot of vehicles, but you couldn't beat the stones in U2. There'd be 19, 20 semis, but now it seems like ridiculous excess, you know, like even big name Axel sometimes be one semi now. Really? Wow. So huh. it's, you know, depends on the venue they're playing, of course, but. We would have uh, shows that would come to the Queen Elizabeth that would also do arenas as well. So they'd have a theater set up and an arena set up and we'd have to cram it down. But my favorites were, were the really the little ones like got to work bare naked ladies, probably, I don't know, seven times. Um, Tragically hip. Uh, I worked that show in Victoria. We were always the start for their tours and uh, I still have a, a jacket from one of their tours and they were awesome because they were always there for three days. So we'd be yeah. working on boxes or different stuff for them for two or three days and get to meet the crew. And yeah, they were, we, we built some pretty good friendships with the roadies that were traveling. It yeah. Was, some uh, of those ones that probably came across Canada, like the hip several times, right? You, you run into those cats probably quite a few times, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, and there was, and Sarah McLaughlin, of course, produced out of Vancouver. So there was some great, great people that worked on that tour. And, and yeah, it was just really fun to have these friendships with some of these guys that you'd see twice a year, yeah. uh, rolling through Vancouver with different, with different shows. So um, how did you get there, there to hear Darren? That, what, how did, you, how did Cumberland Brewing come to be then if you're, rubbing shoulders with keith richards and yeah you know, yeah yeah no. you know what i mean like oh easy now easy now on the rubbing <laughs> i had, had enough <laughs> of the rock stardom I, I just uh uh within the same building but so was the paid the paid uh uh concert goer so let's keep it in perspective um i have uh not day-to-day adhd but i refer to it as career adhd every 12 years i change 12 to 15 years, I just changed careers. Uh, I'm a consummate student that hates school. So I always want to learn, but don't put me in front of a blackboard with somebody telling me what it's going to be. I just need to, I need to dive in. And I was flying out of uh, the lower mainland to different airports, doing annual inspections on privately owned airplanes. And my 
partner called me from Victoria and she said, I'm going to quit my job. Are you ready? And that was the move to Courtney. And that was still to this day, the biggest single gift I've ever gotten in my life. And I'm in our guest suite right now because uh, it's quieter. And uh, I just absolutely love this valley. I love being here and I couldn't be couldn't be happier. So we move here and now I'm flying away from here three to four nights a week to the lower mainland, fixing small airplanes. And that was great. It was really a nice career and, and it was fun. And I got to work with lots of neat people, but I got, I didn't quite recognize it. I'm, I'm a little dense. So it takes a while for me to pick up on stuff. But every time I took off in my little airplane from Courtney, I was sad. And every time I landed here, I was happy. <laughs> and <laughs> after six months of that, I went, I think I need to change something. I think I need to stop <laughs> leaving. Maybe that'll fix it. And uh, I randomly, I, I threw it out to the universe as I, as I sometimes do. And I have been absolutely blessed. I'm not a big uh, um, believer in Tony Robbins or any of those kind of things. But the thing is, is it does actually work. If you actually just yeah. say, this is what I want to do. It's amazing how often it comes back to you. Yeah, it quite often abides. It, it, yes, the, the dude universe and the universe abides. both abide. <laughs> um, so my wife and I went for pizza one night at a place called Ryder's Pizza, and I met Michael Timchuk, who I mentioned earlier that we um, consult together, and his wife, Caroline, and they uh, sold and made me a pizza and told me the story about how he uh, was the uh, second or third, depending on how you count them, uh, brewer at Spinnaker's in Victoria. And he was a sous chef before that. And they asked him if he wanted to learn how to brew. And he said, you bet. Well, that was 34 or five years ago now. And uh, he was involved with setting up, testing, training brewers all over the world with systems out of a place in Victoria called Specific Mechanical. And then he got involved with uh, Brewsters in Alberta and something else in, in Saskatchewan. And then he built uh, Wild Rose Brewing in Alberta. And he had a fight with the board of directors, which you don't tend to win, and got fired. And then he got rehired. And then he got fired again. And he came to the back to the coast where he was at uh, UVic doing a ling linguistics degree before he started with, uh, with Spinnaker's and uh, decided that Cumberland was the place he wanted to be. So they opened a, a pizzeria. So I learned all this story from him as he's making our pizza and serving it to us. And I said, would you do another brewery? And he said, maybe. And then when we left, I turned to my wife and I said, I'm going to open a brewery with that guy. And she said, oh, shit. <laughs> and i said why do you say oh shit and she said well generally when you say something that means it's going to happen so i guess this is what we're doing now and she's a um a, a, a wine lover so she's like why can't we do a, a winery a winery <laughs> and i yeah. said because we're trying to make a million not start with a million so yeah <laughs> so it was um if if i do get the opportunity to ever talk to uh to kids who care or want to even give me two seconds, I will tell them the two things is never, ever let your imagination get in the way of, of trying something. 
and always follow an open door. And if you, if you follow open doors, it's amazing where they will lead. Be curious, ask questions, be engaged. And it's crazy where it will lead you. And uh, I really blame that, give that credit um, for where we are today. Sorry for the long-winded response. Oh, no, that's, that's, oh, love it. It's quite the story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been never ending work, challenges, uh, lessons, uh, you know, stuff that we can't even talk about on the podcast, but it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been an amazing journey and it's been super fun. What do you guys got right now? What's, what's your, what's your lineup? So we got our five core beers. We got our, um, forest fog, which is our, pretty much our most popular it's almost being hedged out now by the ipa but the forest fog is a um and i'm gonna make a a real linguist error here and call it truly unique because that that's a double negative but anyway it's um it's basically like a vice beer or a um or a uh, oh that's the german version the belgian version is escaping me right now Hefeweizen, uh, that's the more German one. Anyway, it's like it's it's like that, except for the fact that it doesn't have that clove and coriander kind of spiciness to it. It's just the flavor of fermented wheat. And mm. that actually brings a real citrus tone to things. So Michael had a Widmere Brothers um, wheat ale down in the States when he was at one of the great American beer festivals back in the, I think nineties. And, uh, he's, it sparked something in him. He said, that's a real quaffable patio beer. So he recreated it, um, in his first recipe at wild rose. And it was called the velvet fog. Uh, and that of course was Mel Torme. Exactly. Well done <laughs> for a young man. You got it. You got it going on there, buddy. Yeah. Um, Not that young. And now that we uh, we have it up in Cumberland, uh, we called it the forest fog because, of course, Cumberland and the uh, the community forest is a huge connection, and we were very blessed to be able to uh, support their fundraising efforts to buy back some of the land that was gifted to the Dunsmere family and the land grab a hundred and some odd years ago. Cool. That's, I I like that. uh, The story that goes along with that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that's just the one beer. So yeah. 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 Yeah, What else you got? So we've got uh, a really good version of an English bitter, which really should be called an English pale ale, except for it. It's named after a process that changed when they actually started first using hops way back in the day. And to their palate, it was very bitter. Uh, it's not really bitter at all. It's a very well-balanced beer, but um, the English bitter is a great one. It's 4.3% as well, going back to your ABV. Yep. Uh, the um, the fog is uh, 4.2. So both of them, again, are quaffable without uh, turning you into uh, a zombie yep. uh, if you have a second. Then we get into our um, our red tape pale ale, and this is where I have to explain that the first those were the first two beers in our beerocracy series, just a little bitter English bitter, and red tape pale ale, and we called them that because we were just a little bitter after all the red tape we had to go through to actually <laughs> open a brewery. Nice. And then uh, we got into the uh, IPA, and we called it finally because it took us eighteen months into business to make an IPA. You got to remember 2014, 
uh, when we opened December 2014, so really 2015. That was the quintessential um, uh, penis measuring contest that was the bitterness that could be contained in IPAs. And we just, you know, I mean, Fat Tug, hats yeah. off. They are, they are the bomb. They are the, yeah. the leader. The boys at Driftwood just, they put all their pennies in that basket and it was a, it was a really good bet and they killed it. But we didn't want to try to compete with that. And we also didn't want to try to just, there was just so many of them that we wanted to focus on other beer styles that were underutilized. So anyway, we built the finally and it's a really nice version. It's, it's uh, malt forward. It's got nice balance and I'm super proud of it. The uh, pale ale, I call it a shy PA. It's almost in that IPA territory, but not quite. (laughs) And then after that, we built an oatmeal stout and uh, it's really good. And as I, alluded to in my email when I, when I told you it's yeah. um, uh, the Cranog backhand of God. <laughs> yes, Brian, sorry if you're listening. It's so almost as good as our uh, oatmeal stout. No, they're, they're Ooh. very, they're very um, comparable <laughs> in a certain level. Um, they're different beers, but they just have that same ability to just, they just warm you up. They make you feel good. They just, it's a hug. It's a hug for your stomach and a hug for it's a your... hug in a glass. Yeah, it's just... said it for years. It's a hug in a glass. Yeah, it's a hug in a glass. And um, I did, one of the mics I heard on that podcast talking about how it was their go-to beer, I believe. At uh, yeah, COVID. it was mine for for years, 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 years. Yeah, and I mean honestly, if there was five pubs, I know the answer to this already. If there was five pubs within literally tipping over distance from where you were standing right now. And they were all serving Guinness. And there was one pub that was a a three mile uphill walk that was serving backhand to God. I I know which way you'd go. It's all about backhand. You know, and it's, it's, uh, it's lovely. I, 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 I totally enjoyed the, the tone and the attitude of what Krenog has got going on. And uh, they're, they're peers that we're proud of. They're, they just are drumming. They're 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 going to their own drummer and they're they're killing it. So no, it's yeah. it's like that. It's got a similar similar vein. There's the chocolatey coffee notes. There's the silkiness that's brought about from the oatmeal that's actually thrown in the beer, and mm-hmm. it's just good stuff. So yeah, we're really proud of that beer. And then we throw in some rotators. So right now we got the Vienna, which somebody talked about there earlier, and um, uh, a porter, which is also course you took home and then um what else is there right now there was a hazy a while ago Vienna porter oh can't remember isn't that terrible i was just there did you say an english pale ale <laughs> uh esb esb thank you yeah. so we yeah. have our standard bitter just a little bitter but right now we also have an esb on and it's just more it's like it's like the the amp that goes to 11. It just takes that English bitter at seven and it just turns it up to 11. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's biscuit. <laughs> it's got more, more, I don't know, snackability to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That should be on the can. Um, you know, you mentioned Darren, like the, the IPAs and we talked about this, like even before, uh, you, you know, like last year about how everybody was making IPAs. 
Um, and yeah. obviously we weren't the only ones that noticed that because it just, it feels like everybody has one, you know, everybody's got or five or, or five. Right. And you're just like, wow, it just so many of these. So yeah, it, it's, it's interesting that you started with something else, you know, and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's different. Yeah. The very first beer that, um, Michael made was a, um, uh, Dunkelweizen. So dark weed ale. And he did that because he said, look, they're going to try what we have as our first offerings. And he said, we need to gain their trust. And that if we can do that, we can take them wherever we want to go. And it was a great, it was a great idea because they were like, Ooh, I don't know if I'll like that. Well, try it. You don't have to like it, but you do have to try it. And it was a, it was a great seller and it did just that. They now, for the most part, will trust what we throw at them and uh, they may not like it, but they can appreciate it that it's done thoughtfully and, and as well as we can do it. I think that's one of the most amazing things about a, a small brewery is um, you're able to experiment and, and, you know, try things that people wouldn't normally try. I, Worked at the um, Church Street Tap House for a little bit, and um, Brian was the head bartender there, and he would always get, I mean, he had red red tape on tap for a little bit, which was uh, really popular, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And one night, we were just sitting there talking about, you know, just like what you said, Mike, it's all these IPAs out there, and, and when you go to the liquor store, it's either a sour or an IPA, and... I spent some time in, in Holland and I drank a lot of Belgian beers and I was like, I, I love Belgian beers. Belgian beers are some of the best beers in the world. And why don't you see any of that here? And I think, you know, uh, having a community brewery, you know, you can try things like an ESB or, or something that isn't really that popular then people might not, not even know what that is, but you can, you know, based on, um, you know, your, your customers trust that you're going to deliver a, a good product, you can sort of expand people's palate and, and give them like a, a different, like a memorable experience with a different kind of beer. Yeah. hundred percent. The, the great story um, from central city, uh, red racer, uh, they made an ESB and well, they still do, but they don't call it an ESB anymore. And the marketing department came to them and said, look, the sales of this are impossible because it's called bitter and North Americans don't know what that means and they don't want something that's bitter. And the marketing department said, please call it something else. It's a great beer, but call it something else. And they ended up calling it a red ale and it's the exact same recipe. And they said, if you rename it, it will sales will increase by 20%. So they renamed it, repackaged it, and they were wrong. Apparently it went up 30% um, <laughs> because people just didn't want to grab something off a shelf that was called bitter. Um, in a community brewery like ours, we have just a little bitter, the English bitter. And people try it. It's, it's again, another Tim Chuck quote is um, liquid to lips. If you get liquid to lips, they like it. It'll be theirs forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can do that. And now they come in and they actually say, I'll have the bitters. Well, now they've actually named it something that's way more, you know, 
connotatively, connotatively bitter. It's it's nothing like that, but they've actually named it that. But that's <laughs> that's what they want. So it's really it's I, I completely agree with you. It's wonderful to be able to, you know, say again, you don't have to like it, but try a sip, educate your palate, and you see people that slowly will engage with a, a braver flavor and uh, and find something a little bit stronger, a little bit more flavor or malt forward that they didn't think they'd like. I mean, we did have a hundred years of yellow bubbly in this country. Yes. You know, blind taste test, a kokanee, paps, blue ribbon, Heineken and yeah. Labatt's gold. I don't know. Like, you, really? Could you tell the difference? That's what looks, we say. Looks like the this same, just like looks the take... same coming out as it does going in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and we said before <laughs> yeah. you need to take you know yeah. a left at the when you get into the cold zone and you go to the Budweiser and uh, <laughs> yeah. and the rest of that, or you go to the right and you go to all the craft beer and you walk around there and lose yourself for the next half an hour, right? So but don't don't you think that yeah. politically speaking, you've got that exactly one hundred and eighty degrees out of. I wanted shouldn't to do be, that. I did that on purpose, hard, Derek. Shouldn't it be a hard right turn to the Budweiser? I tried to flip yeah. it on yeah. its on its head. I tried to switch it up <laughs> on purpose. That's that's, uh, that's, oh, that's so pretty interesting. True. Although okay. we do have to admit, with everything we've learned, especially right now with um, <sighs> the protests in Ottawa and that's everything, exhausting. the left and the right extremism sort of meets in the middle in a really weird way. It's fascinating yeah. to see that. Well, anytime you get to any sort of extremist, it's they're basically on the same page, you know, at, at the end of the day. Yeah. So somebody missed an opportunity to sell a lot of Paps Blue Ribbon. They could have taken, they could have killed it. <laughs> oh man. But, but could they get it in? Well, if you're clever enough, you know. Drones, man. Oh, drones. If, if, all, if all the trucks are <laughs> down, how are you Paps get from the sky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's everybody's dream. <laughs> everybody's dream yeah so what you got coming up darren what's what's going on this summer what do you have are you doing another like short runs of something coming up that you can tell us about well we always have those five core beers on Mm -hmm. and of course we got a great food menu and then we just rotate from there we're trying our best to try to keep uh something lager like close by but we're gonna always rotate that um, from a Kolsch to a, uh, to a dark lager, maybe to a Pilsner, to a, uh, just straight good old lager, lager. Um, so yeah, we're going to try and do that, but I just want to keep it rotating. So it never becomes ingrained because, uh, it becomes a slippery slope when you do that. And it's a lot of time. And so the biggest thing, honestly, I'm worried about, um, you know, we're, we're literally, 10 days left in, in February here. And, uh, we've had a a lifting yesterday of some of the health orders so we can have max bodies in right now, which is charming, but we're having a tough time recruiting staff and uh, we're not alone there. That's the entire world. It seems the other part is, is that there is a real unfurling of wings. It seems there's people that are, pretty darned happy to get out and and have some fun. So the roaring 20 metaphor that we've heard about the idea yeah. of, of people just letting loose and having a great old time um, is a little concerning just uh, about the survivability for my staff. I, 
I always work to try and make sure we create a sustainable um, uh, employment and to sustainable jobs. And I feel like it's going to be just battery because um, we're just going to get hit so hard. Uh, so that's that's the biggest concern. We have a real seasonability swing in the wintertime. It's much slower. And then we go through like full three ring circus. Um, so it's preparing almost for the tsunami of visiting hyper excited people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's really the, the tone is just hang on. You're going to grab the bull and just hang on as long <laughs> as you can. Knuckle it. Yeah. And you know, it's, I personally, from speaking from experience, it's one of the hardest industries out there. I mean, just what you've said puts chills down my spine a little bit <laughs> because um, Comox was wanting, um, you know, a tap room for so long and they got it. And uh, it was just a full on assault from the, from the get go. It was just a lot of people with big expectations and, um, you know, you get through it and you feel proud and, and there is a sense of camaraderie and it is a very rewarding uh, industry, but at the same time, it is, it's tough. It's, it's hard when people come in with expectations and, and, um, yeah. So I, I can't imagine, like you said, people are, you know, kind of foaming at the mouth a little bit to, to get out and have fun. And, and, um, yeah. It, so, uh, it's kudos to you and your staff. For, uh, well, we're, we're really blessed no. with really great people. We've had some folks with us for the whole seven years, uh, a lot of them yeah. have been there five years and we're hoping to continue to create an environment where they want to stick around. I, I want it to be a career. So we try to build in ways for it to be survivable and, and to think about keeping doing it 10 years from now. Um, Are, sorry, no, no, it's, it's just that that, that sense of battle um, needs to be made more reasonable. And the only way you can really do it is is to just create more breath, create more space, create more time. Uh, we do carefully uh, curate the visit, and we make sure that we create those options and decisions that will make it easier for everyone to have a great experience, but not, you know, blow away their expect or not disappoint them, and you know, meet meet all of that. Um, I could give you the test, Dana, the, the, the secret to the service industry and everybody from mechanics right through to the grocery stores, everybody can pass this test. And the real question is, what's the best thing about what we do? Well, it's undoubtedly the, the, the people. They're, they're awesome. We meet some just amazing people with great stories to tell, great histories. And, and it, it just it, it affirms life and it makes you feel really good about what's going on. And then the next question is, what's the worst thing about what we do? It's the people. <laughs> because, you know, I didn't truly understand yin and yang. I didn't really get the Taoist uh, viewpoint. But uh, people are the life force that make this journey on this spinning planet absolute magic and absolute mm -hmm. mayhem. And they, they, they give us and they take it away and they, they create all of the joyful moments that just make you want to hug them and slug them. 
So it's <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And we all have our we all have our moments on both sides of the spectrum, right? We all create those. But yeah, when when you get 90%, unfortunately, you focus too much on the 10%. So we need to celebrate more of those people that just continually support and love us and, and are grateful and, and just let the noisy people make noise. Yep. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you saw uh, Jan Arden, who also is a great entertainer. She, she's more than a songwriter and a, and a singer. She is an entertainer. She's been it relevant sounds, man, uh, for, uh, for a long time, right? Like she's yeah. been around, like I remember her being around when I was a kid, like, and even yeah. now she's still, you know, so like kudos to her for that because she's, she's stuck around. And she's an artist of the first quality, but she's also just got a wicked sense of humor. She's so funny. Yeah. And she yeah. put out a meme a little while ago, um, reflecting on the, uh, the convoy and it was honk 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 me 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 honk 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 <laughs> i just thought that was that was classic it's just sort of an <laughs> a, a, a entitled self-reflective moment and not to discount some of the folks that are really trying to send a message about what they believe in but it's yep. uh it's a difficult uh, thing to change a protest into an occupation, but I'll leave that there. Yeah. It's it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, we agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice. Um, good. Are you guys okay? Leave it there because that's kind of a good ending. Like I think so yeah, too. Yeah, like kind of perfect timing too. Um, on that. Um, yeah. It, great to talk to you, Darren. Like, feels like we kind of going on this too like um you know and it, we we appreciate like just different perspectives on this too like we're, we're we're learning lots uh along this way about you know obviously different beers and stuff but just different approaches to uh business we're finding interesting as well and just you know different approaches to all of this but we're seeing that common thread of like community kind of throughout Absolutely. all of this. Yeah. Like we, we see this yeah. coming up quite a bit. Um, even on the last one that we did, it was about lots about community too. So um, it, it was interesting and we, we appreciate it. We appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. My, my absolute pleasure. It is a, uh, they're not dissimilar worlds, uh, the music industry, um, brewing industry, food and beverage, they're, they're full of a lot of A-type personalities, guilty, um, who <laughs> just really want to try to create something different, exciting and fun. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to be proud of some of those peers. I mean, when you, when you show up at a, at a gig and you don't know who's going to be there and you see somebody who is, you know, opening for another act and they're there and it's it's great to to just see the same thing when we bump into peers that we're proud of. It's a great community, and it's wonderful that we all have the common enemy of big beer. Yeah. Once uh, <laughs> once once big beer is completely decimated, then you'll see us scrapping like little dogs after a soggy old bone. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and there's lots, right? Like. There is so many when you actually go and look through that ale trail on there, like it, there's yeah. so many and yeah. And that's just BC. Just BC. Yeah. yeah. 
right? Yeah, um, you know what? Yeah, there's yeah. there's some pretty interesting things going on out in the flatlands in uh, Manitoba. There's some great little breweries opening up there, and and Saskatchewan and PEI, Newfoundland. I can't wait to get out there and try some of those. I mean, who doesn't want to get a get a beer from Dildo? I think it's fabulous. <laughs> Dildo, <laughs> the Flynn Flon Lager. <laughs> Right, yeah. right, and you can you can go to the mine and get some of the terrible government uh, uh, skunkweed too at the mm. same time. So it's mm. perfect. It's like well, who, who doesn't want to drive across Canada with a nail? That's the best ale trail ever. No doubt, no. all the way across Canada. It's got to be on uh, all, all the tourist signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We just we need to have a tall boy like a three thirty five mil can somewhere in the middle mm. there. Yeah. Somewhere it's got to have the giant Absolutely. beer can. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. there's there's a challenge somebody out there make that happen yeah <laughs> for sure all right we want you guys to subscribe share and review this podcast keep it going keep it strong because we're having a great time entertaining you guys with b-sides and beers podcast